Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Rosine. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are delighted to be joined by Hannah Von Jones. Hannah Von Jones is an international broadcaster, moderator, journalist, consultant, director and mum. She received an Emmy nomination for her work covering the Manchester bombing. She has hosted primetime shows for CNN and Sky News and she has interviewed the last three British Prime Ministers. She's a communications consultant. She runs her own media production company, Luna Limited, and is an inaugural member of the McCain Institute's Global Advisory Council. Hannah, welcome to the show. We are delighted to have you here. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's a joy to be with you both. Would you mind just starting by telling us your own story about your IVF experience and how you ended up where you are today? Yes, of course. And I I would just say at the beginning that I was one of the lucky ones. I am one of the lucky ones who ended up conceiving and having a little boy who's now three as a result of all of our treatment. So I know that would be potentially quite triggering for some people, maybe not for others, but I just wanted to outline that from the beginning. But yes, we ended up having 15 rounds of treatment and that was 10 full rounds of follicle stimulation and then egg retrievals and interspersed within those 10 full rounds of treatment, we had at least five frozen embryo transfers. So it all happened over the course of about six or seven years that it was diagnosed early on as unexplained infertility, which I personally think is unforgivable. But essentially, there were problems on both sides. So there was male and female factors. My husband has low sperm count and poor, I think it was called morphology. And I have a bicornuate uterus. So it's heart shaped, but relatively useless. Um, Not as cute as it sounds. So we knew that there would be problems and went straight into treatment really after probably a year, year or so of of trying naturally. I knew about your fertility history, but I hadn't known about your husband's actually. So that's really interesting because, as I'm sure you know, everybody just instantly assumes it's the female's problem. So I think it's really good to highlight the fact that, yeah, it can obviously it can be the men as well because people just don't think about that as much. That's so true. And 15 rounds. 15 rounds of treatment was an awful lot and it, it takes its toll on both people, like whether you're doing this on your own or whether you're doing it with a partner. And yeah, it was a really hard thing to come to terms with. Lewis and I are both very blessed and lucky in life in general and have always lived quite, well, very, very privileged and charmed existences, I suppose, up until, up until this point. And then so to be told that there was potentially a problem with him or potentially a problem with me was really tough for us both mentally because we were a hindrance to our partner's happiness. And that's a big thing to wrap your head around, especially when you're preparing to spend the rest of your life with someone. As we were at the time, we started trying to conceive and knew that we would have to go down the IVF route before we were married. It was something we talked about a lot and had to really kind of grapple with from the early stages. That's amazing, actually. To have the conversation before you're married is a really interesting thing because a lot of people, they get married and then 
do all the normal things and they try to have a baby and then they kind of go, oh, hang on a minute, this just isn't quite working. So the fact that you knew before you got married and obviously you decided to carry on and, and go through it all anyway, that's already a massive commitment to each other. You've obviously got yourself and your husband. You've had this amazing career as a journalist, broadcaster. How on earth did you manage 15 rounds of IVF doing a really public job? In a bizarre way, I think having such a public role helped me. It wouldn't necessarily help everyone else, but it helped me because I was in a very privileged position of being able to go into work every day in the thick of treatment and go and perform and go and be somebody else. And every single waking hour that I had at home or outside of that newsroom was spent for me in the thick of IVF. And I was bloated. I was uncomfortable. I was sad. I was angry. I was jealous. It was, it was all consuming as, as anyone who goes through fertility problems will know and, and that will resonate with them. And so as soon as I stepped into the news studio, I could go and sort of in Beyonce's terms, go and find my Sasha Fierce. <laughs> For me, the thought of taking a break was just like being static and standing still and not gaining any momentum. Yeah. I was always at my happiest when I was in treatment because you feel like you're making progress. And so for the 15 rounds of treatment was over a relatively short period of time. I mean, some people would only do maybe two rounds or something like that in the course of six years, mm -hmm. whereas we kind of did back-to-back -back treatment cycles because as you'll know, and many of your listeners will know, if you have a a failed round, as it were, you haven't really gained anything from that other than maybe a little bit of knowledge about what your body does. Mm. Generally, you go back to square one. Yep. And that was the hardest part for me. It wasn't just the sense of failure. It was the fact that no progress had been made. And it was, I felt like I was going backwards. That's why we managed to get through as much as we did. And we talked a lot. We looked out for each other. We're both broadcasters, so we both are used to communicating <laughs> and um and and that was absolutely key for us i think so many people their you know relationships perhaps falter because it's something that you both mm -hmm. go through if you are going through it as a couple it's it's something that you both are affected by and if you don't keep each other up to date i suppose on how you are on any given day any given hour then things can really falter because you're both grieving at different times I think one of the things about IVF is it brings around an intimacy that it's just different to all other types of intimacy for me because you have to get so well acquainted with each other. Mm. Like you said, sometimes on an hour by hour basis, you know, and it really does make or break relationships. You just look like such a lovely couple together and such a beautiful family. It does look as though the process that you've been through, which is huge has brought you together as a family. Um, and Sonny, your your boy is absolutely beautiful, by the way. You know, he is, <laughs> he's just so cute. We like him. <laughs> he's very loud, very, very loud. I suppose that's to be expected. He's three, welcome. I've got two and um, I've just got plastic trucks and cars everywhere. But they're so cute, they get away with it. So we're all good. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, actually, and you kind of began to touch on it, was the complexities of IVF. Going through 15 rounds, as far as I'm concerned, you're basically a doctor now. You're incredibly well qualified. <laughs> you are a specialist. But for a lot of people, there's just a, a lack of information. You know, people mm. say, I'm going to start IVF, and they have absolutely no idea what's in store for them. One of the things that I did enjoy learning about when I was preparing for today's show was you were talking about these IVF extras. 
And this isn't something that we've explicitly covered on the show yet. And I have to ask you about the fat drip of 3000 calories. Now, I was listening to your interview with Professor Harper Joyce, which was fantastic. And when you got to the fat drip for 3000 calories, I just thought, oh my God, I have to ask you about this. (laughs) I had not heard of this before. What was this for? And how did you feel just kind of watching it go into you? Well, I should just caveat this that I, I don't think it's actually called a fat drip, but I dubbed it as such. It was immunotherapy, which was offered to me maybe sort of round five or six or something like that. And the idea, and this is very much kind of not from a medical background, <laughs> you potentially have natural killer cells in your body. So that as soon as a, a foreign thing goes into my body, so an embryo enters and tries to attach in, into my uterus that my body is attacking it because it's something foreign. So you have too many natural killer cells or NK cells in your body and you need to have this immunotherapy treatment that will essentially dumb that down or dull it out. And so and I was just like, well, yeah, great, fine. I mean, whatever. You know, I'd had I'd had every test that I think available under the sun at the time. It was a drip. And it was just it, I think it was egg yolk. And all I remember them saying was that it had egg yolk and something else in it. And it, it took ages to go in because my body, even though I've had to give do so many blood tests over the years, and I do regularly now give blood because I'm B negative as well. So I've got, you know, really well needed blood apparently because it's quite, it's relatively rare, but my body doesn't give up blood easily. So, so they put the cannula in and then, yeah, it was just taking ages to actually go into my system. And it's just, you're just like lying there thinking, this is completely mad. I'm, I've got egg yolk into my body. And I think the biggest thing was that I just don't know why you give up so much of yourself when you're going through treatment because you have, you know, experts saying this might work or the, the latest research suggests X, Y, and Z. And so you kind of go, okay, let's try it. Mm. You're paying enormous sums of money for something that you don't understand. There are so many of these areas of extra things, extra treatments that are not fully researched. They aren't proven. And one thing that we definitely would have benefited from back in the day when we were in the thick of treatment was Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority, the HFEA. They have what's called a traffic light system now when they can essentially say that there's an add-on, that it's an endometrial scratch or whatever it might be. And um, they will have a, a red an amber or a green, which tells you not just whether it will work or not, because some people do swear by a certain add-on. They say that was the thing that worked for them. But the the traffic light system just gives you an insight into what has been proven. And that would have been invaluable to us just for in terms of our mental health as well, because you, you just, you're so full of resentment after a while because you are doing everything you can. And it's that feeling of being taken advantage of when you're at your most vulnerable and also on top of that being made to feel a bit stupid because you you didn't ask the question oh yeah and there are a billion acronyms in IVF IVF being one of them <laughs> and it's uh it's really hard to to know what people are talking about and um far too many doctors and specialists and consultants I think use this jargon which I find in the corporate world anyway everyone uses the jargon that they're used to within their own sector I just think it's a shame that it's used so freely within medical practice because the patient doesn't understand and shouldn't be made to feel like they should understand. 
Absolutely. What you just said about people are really vulnerable. Mm. You would give anything to have this baby. So like you said, if someone says, hey, we're going to put some eggs into you, like you said, you go, yeah, sure, let's try it. Let's do whatever you want. Let's just do it. Why not? Because it might just work. It's completely crazy, isn't it? I think I did it twice as well. (laughs) Once wasn't enough. Didn't make any difference. (laughs) I'm really glad you mentioned the traffic light system because I know that that's a relatively new thing. And there are so many women that I speak to and they're so confused and they're so overwhelmed and they do just want a baby. They Mm. are willing to do absolutely everything. And like you said, not all of these treatments are fully certified. They're not necessarily proven by science. Some of them are still being tested on. So this traffic light system is fantastic. I love that you've mentioned that just to help our listeners get a little bit of a gauge of where they can look for more information. I just wanted to remind people, so 15 rounds of IVF, Sunny was obviously your 15th round. Mm -hmm. Am I right in that when you had the embryos graded, they were not the top grade? Is that right? Oh, yes. He was ugly as hell. (laughs) I mean, I know every clinic has a different way of doing this, but he was something like 5cc or something like that. So he was a day five blastocyst frozen and he was cc. So, I mean, just graded really, really poorly. We had two embryos, actually, our two last remaining embryos, and we just transferred them as a natural frozen transfer Mm. as our last roll of the dice and um, didn't expect anything at all. Um, I'm sure we'll probably come on to this in terms of like the fitness side of how I approach fitness through treatment in general. Yeah. But certainly through that last roll of the dice, as it were, I was doing CrossFit at the time. I I just wasn't doing any of I wasn't drinking, but I generally wasn't taking any of the um, precautions or the lifestyle changes that I'd taken in all the previous rounds because I just didn't think it would work. And I was so fed up and tired of changing my life for this thing that seemed so unrealistic. It just wasn't going to happen. We'd been through so much. So yes, he was remarkably, of the two that were transferred, he stuck. And I remember looking at the pregnancy test it was one of those digital ones. Um, and I did it early, like six o'clock in the morning. And my husband had been working overnight. So he was fast asleep in bed. And I looked at it and it said pregnant two to three weeks. And I just didn't believe it. I remember I just put it down on the side by the sink and I got dressed and I went and did a CrossFit class. Just started doing lots of kettlebell swings and things. Oh, my. And then I got home later that day and then I went up and had a shower and I looked and it was still on the side by the sink and I looked at it again and it still said pregnant two to three weeks. I was like, is this a joke? This is ridiculous. Um, And then I eventually told Lewis and his reaction, both of us were so stunned, but also just did not believe it. There was no smile at any point. If anything, I think his reaction was something along the lines of, right, okay, well, this is what it is and we'll just prepare ourselves for what comes next on the assumption that what would come next would likely be a miscarriage. Mm. We got our heads around it and we were incredibly lucky to have a smooth pregnancy and a healthy baby. But um, if you go through infertility, it's a trauma that never, ever leaves you. And then it manifests in lots of different ways and robs you of all sorts of things. Whilst also, if you're lucky enough to have a child, obviously giving you the greatest joy ever, it's, um, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. Being pregnant through fertility and loss. The story that you've just told says two to three weeks. Loads of people would kill for a two to three weeks on those digital. That is the peak when you go on all the forums. You know, people are desperate to get that two to three weeks. I love that you did it. Went to CrossFit, threw some kettlebells around, (laughs) kind of forgot about it. Probably not advisable to go and do CrossFit for people in the early stages of pregnancy. No. But it goes to show what a horrendous toll this had taken on you. Mm. it just didn't process. It just didn't process at all. And you went and did a CrossFit class. 
By the way, I fully support you on kettlebells. Love kettlebells. <laughs> they are one of my favorites in the gym. They yeah. just get the job done. And one of the things we did want to talk about was obviously exercise. I know that you are a fellow half marathoner, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've always worked out, you know, exercise for a lot of people is really hard. How did you actually get started? Just for some of our listeners who I know just struggle just to get going. As you say, exercise has always been a part of my life. I used to swim a lot as a kid. And then, I mean, I was never a gym fanatic or anything like that, but I've always liked to do yoga or keep fit. And I tend to kind of fixate on something for about six months. Mm -hmm. I'll be a yoga bunny for six months and then I'll start running for six months. And <laughs> through a lot of the treatment, I would still keep relatively fit. When I was actually in treatment, I didn't do that much exercise. I was so focused, I think, on diet. And, and you know, there's a lot to pack into a day when you're in the thick of treatment in terms of mm. making sure you time all your injections properly and fit in work and all the rest of it. So I just, I don't think from memory, I don't think I did too much training whilst I was in treatment. In hindsight, I would do things slightly differently. It's just the type of training you do. But once I'd had Sunny, I was very conscious that I wanted to kind of recognise my body again, basically. Yeah. And it wasn't about being slim or thin or anything. I just wanted to feel good, maybe in wearing certain clothes. Just wanted to feel a bit more like me. And we went straight into lockdown when he was about three months old. And so I, I used that as my opportunity to go out for a run. And I loved it. I don't think I've done a half marathon since I had Sunny. I can't quite remember now. I used to clock like 100 kilometres a month or something like that. Does that sound like a lot? That That's impressive, yeah. I think I did that for a good few months, three or four months, and really, really enjoyed it. But now what I do is a lot of weight training and strength training, and I absolutely love it. For my mind, for my body, as it happens, I've lost weight having done it. And I'm much more toned and I'm far, far stronger. And it's not just in being physically stronger and having big biceps or anything. I, I just, my mind feels stronger. I feel more in control of things. And I have craved that for so long, certainly through infertility and IVF, I craved a sense of control. That's what I'm referring to when I talked about the hindsight, if I would do things differently. I think if I were still in treatment now, I would definitely be doing some form of weight training. You know, the important thing, as you'll obviously know, it needs to be the right form. You need to do it properly. You need help. You can't just sort of go into the gym. And I wouldn't advise anyone to just go into a gym and start either swinging kettlebells or <laughs> pick up a barbell and go for it. You're just going to hurt yourself. But yes, it's been a big thing for me now. Running, not so much. I did a lot of running in between treatment cycles, mostly because I wanted to cross a finish line and feel like I'd achieved something. Yes. And in IVF, I wasn't achieving anything. You always go back to square one. Whereas I felt like if I can do 13 miles and cross the finish line and get a NAF medal and have a, a sausage roll at the end of it, then I'll feel like I've, I've achieved something. Yes. I love those medals. <laughs> I've still got them all. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love the snacks. I'm all about the snacks at the end. I love those protein bars. You know, you need those when you've run 13 miles. I also love what you've said about the relationship between the weight training and control with your fertility, the link between those two things. And you're absolutely right. Lots of people just feel completely out of control. This is why I love fitness when it comes to fertility, because it supports your fertility, but it supports your mind. And we are massive fans of weight training on this show. So fully support you with the weight training. One of the last things we kind of wanted to talk to you about was we are going to be releasing this when it's International Women's Day. And obviously, this is the time where we look at issues of gender and women's rights. And one of the big things we look at is reproductive rights. Who do you see as an inspiration in your own life and why? 
I'm so pleased you asked this question because in my professional work, I do a lot of work in the global health space. And in particular, I come across a lot of um, women and men who work within sexual reproductive health rights. And I'm fully aware and increasingly aware that my privilege as a cis white woman in the global north is enormous. And yet my needs, my desires to have a family are no more than a woman my age, say, living in Cameroon or something. So I take an enormous amount of inspiration from the women working in global health who are really trying to bring about a tangible change in the world. There's an organisation, there's a movement called Women in Global Health. They've done a lot of research that shows that the burden falls on women when it comes to health care, the caring roles globally. When there's a pandemic, the burden falls on women to look after people, to care for people, to clean for people. It always falls on women more than on men. And yet women don't have a seat at the table when it comes to designing and developing health infrastructure or policies in government. So Women in Global Health is a phenomenal movement. And I just think there are so many unsung heroes who care for others, clean for others, raise others, birth others, and sacrifice so much daily to, to really kind of prolong and enrich, give life to other people. Yeah, as I said, a fantastic organisation, a movement that demands gender equity in global health. And that's something that I fully endorse. And I think if someone in such a privileged position as I am can just shine a light on some of these women and the work that they're doing through podcasts like this, then I think it feels like a good thing. That's an amazing thing. And thank you so much for sharing. We can put links in all the show notes to um, their organisation so everybody knows where we can find them. But thank you. That is an amazing answer. Absolutely fantastic. What I love about your story is it does give a little bit of hope to our listeners and Roshan and I are very keen to bring hope. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for bringing some hope and just for being very honest and real about it all as well. So thank you. We're very, very happy to have spoken to you today. Well, thank you so, so much for having me on. For any listeners who are in the thick of it and really struggling right now, then I would just say there's no such thing as waving a white flag and giving up. It's just about drawing your own lines and finding your own boundaries of what you can push yourself to. If you're not successful in having a baby and bringing a baby home, then you haven't failed. You know, there is also life for you in, in a different form than maybe you predicted. Keep going, but don't worry about waving a white flag, which I know so much of the social media out there seems to suggest it's sort of a giving up thing, which I hate. <laughs> I agree. Couldn't agree more, actually. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Roisin, I mean, what an amazing woman. What an incredible story. 15 rounds of IVF. And it is a story that is just filled with hope. And I know sometimes we fear that stories like this could be triggering, especially people that are really going through it. But I think you need to hear that it's possible. It happened for Hannah and it can happen for you too. I think a little bit of hope is exactly what people need to hear at times. And I'm so grateful for Hannah coming on and sharing her story with us. Also, I think it's really poignant that this week where we have just had International Women's Day, that Hannah should promote Women in Global Health. It's an amazing organization. It's an NGO, so it's a non-for-profit. Its focus is to create a little bit of health equality in this world of massive inequality especially in women's health. Definitely go and check it out. Absolutely. And if you're interested, head over to womeningh.org and have a look at all the amazing work they do. It really is quite incredible. To learn more about Hannah's story, head over to her Instagram page, hvonjones, or have a look at her website, which is hannahvonjones.com. And you will learn all about the amazing work she's done, the amazing career that she's had, 
and how she survived 15 rounds of IVF. So, Maria, what will we be speaking about next week? On Tuesday, we will be returning to our focus on hormones and I will be discussing the relationship between dopamine and fertility. And then on Friday, following on from our interview this week, we are going to discuss IVF extras and how they are graded. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our Trying to Conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.